Hey guys, Dan here. Just wanted to say a quick thank you for supporting the podcast. And if you'd like to advertise your business on the podcast in a slot just like this, please contact me at fisticuffs underscore podcast on Instagram. Thank you and enjoy the rest of the podcast. Uh, first of all, before we start, thank you for doing this. I really appreciate your time. Especially appreciate yeah, it's a bit my of pleasure. a strange time with everything going on. Um, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> first thing one thing i wanted to say as well i really like i like what you put on your youtube the other day about gyms coming together in the kentucky area like it's really nice to see that kind of unity because especially with everything going on it's really good to see the people who you know need to stick together actually are right yeah it's it's been a it's been a chore for everyone i think to to kind of keep their chin up about it because i think that um yeah, I mean, even even with just the the COVID times, the lockdown times, and stuff like that, man, it's I, I've been trying to figure out, you know, kind of positively moving forward. That's what we've all been doing. And I was I was actually contacted by um, another gym owner here in Kentucky that um, had more to do with the organization of that. But he, you know, he talked to a lot of us uh, as as instructors and as gym owners and everything about the the guidelines because the guidelines that, that we have and any of the phases that are projected like far out at all there's just no allowances for anything remotely like jiu-jitsu and so you know we're like well okay how what what can we do aside from just being pissed off about this <laughs> to to kind of take a positive step forward but i appreciate you saying that though and again like it's so strange like regards of where you guys are at now what's the current lockdown situation are you able to do anything now or is it still no jiu-jitsu, no fun, no nothing. <laughs> well, um, I, it's kind of like this. What I'm seeing more and more is we have these guidelines that we're um, we're kind of given down. Some are some are more in the form of like mandates, um, and those can be interpreted somewhat, you know. But there's also like penalties that are associated with them. As far as like exactly how enforceable some of these penalties are. Uh, where where I live, there's not, there's no cop that's gonna um, actually come to your business that I know of. It's actually gonna come to your your business and tell you, look, you know, you're opening too soon. You're not supposed to do this. You're supposed to do that. Like they're just not gonna do it. I mean, even if they're supposed to, um, supposed to according to the governor. Um, but as far as the actual state guidelines for us, um, and we are, I'd say as far as like how open versus how closed on a state to state basis, we're probably uh, like an, an eight out of 10 on the, the, the strict guideline, like as far as opening back. Um, a lot of things were allowed to open back, restaurants were allowed to open back at a certain capacity, um, different businesses to a certain like occupancy. Um, you know, June 1st, Monday, June 1st, there, there's, um, we're gonna be allowed to open different businesses that haven't been allowed to open like fitness centers fitness centers will be able to open um now for these fitness centers to open the guidelines are that um you know wearing masks are encouraged social distancing um you know all that stuff like and then you know all these other rules like basically though there's no if you really read what the guidelines are saying there's no room for something like jujitsu like contact sports are are not even on the radar um, they said that later on in June, it's projected that that soft to moderate contact sports like, you know, little league uh, soccer, you know, things like that with with certain restrictions will be allowed to um, to happen again. 
but there's for something like as much contact as you have in jiu-jitsu it's like there's there's nothing on the radar so all we're doing is basically saying okay well we're inside of a fitness center um we we have fitness as a component so we're opening and we're taking these guidelines that are you know recommended and we're gonna say here's our interpretation of that you know and that's basically what that video was doing that we put out for that save kentucky jiu-jitsu it's like okay here's here's how we're going to interpret the guidelines that you've you've put in place um and this is the best that we can do so you know sorry if it's not enough <laughs> but well, this makes is what sense we're doing. having that kind of like unified standard for saying okay we're going to make sure everyone's following these kind of guidelines we're going to do our bit to enforce as best we can but ultimately it's right. up to the people who are coming in to be responsible for that as well like it's a two-way thing like i can't expect you to get all your white belts with the thermometer saying ah oh, no you've got a right yeah i mean it's it, it gets a little it gets a little crazy after a while you know and it, there's um there's a lot of things that have actually gotten tighter restrictions by now versus when this started you know i mean we're, we're like approximately three months into um you know our our pandemic you know in the in the states pretty much and a lot of what these guidelines are being based around are the most populous cities in the states you know so like i have a buddy in southern illinois a tiny little town small population not a single case of of coronavirus in the in his county or, in, um, or his city um and he is having to go to the through the same guidelines as chicago you know which is, is has been a hotbed um you know depending on how you look at the numbers so it's you know it's it's not there's no good way of doing it um i, I understand that and you know that's the thing that i try to i honestly do try to be patient with some of these the governors that are trying to make heads and tails of it because they have pressure from all sides and they're trying to do what's best and they're also not trying to look like an asshole like whenever you have these other states around you that are you know they're it's like this state over here is is going this strict and it's like if you just leave things completely open then you know you're gonna look like the bad guy but at the same time some of them are just taking pretty draconian measures you know and and some of them the um there's also like a lot of financial incentive behind some of these things too so there's there's a lot of complications to it man what are you guys doing for the time being like for your own team are you doing like loads of like zoom sessions are you kind of doing your own thing with that how are you keeping busy in that well yeah i've i've been um i haven't done a lot of zoom stuff i've done a, a few zoom um like small workshops um and you know i've done some different like zoom kind of one-on-one -on -one things but not not a lot of those either the i don't own the the school that i teach out of and the owner um has been putting up some some zoom classes uh for people to kind of follow along with but you know it's it's just you can only do so much through that you know so um you know i've uh, that's that's a, that's about the extent of it honestly i mean you know aside from that um i've just been you know sneaking around and training myself you know like <laughs> so that's that's about the best that uh, that we can do but we start um we actually start back on Monday, and we've we've put some new software in place, and I've been tracking the people who, um, you know, as soon as we announced that and sent out an email, we had the the classes that we are putting back on the schedule. They've they've been kind of blowing up, so um, we're going to resume private lessons because there there are concessions that that sound like you could potentially um, fitness centers could do personal training. So we're interpreting that as well. Okay, for 
us, then we can do private lessons. And that's that's the bulk of what I do anyways. So, you know, I teach a few group classes, but I do a lot of private lessons. So like we're you know, we're we're going back underway with, with that when uh, when Monday rolls around. So that's quite interesting so you do mainly private lessons because I think I don't know do you reckon that comes across a lot with your videos because that kind of level of intricacy that intimacy when you're saying it as well it's not just like a okay guys so as a whole like they always come across when you do your videos you've got that level of I don't know it's like a personal way you speak to people I feel like is that something you've developed from coaching directly or mainly from the one-to-ones how do you I don't know um I think it's I think it's a combination um you know, I, I I do think that my my belief is that with martial arts in general, especially especially something like jujitsu, really like reinforces it. But martial arts in general, I don't believe was ever meant to be taught to big groups of people. Um, so it, it, you have to teach very differently when you're teaching, in some ways, very differently when you're teaching um, a massive group of people, you know, or a small group of people versus just one on one or one on a small, uh, like couple of people. So if, if all I did was teach private lessons, I would get very con conversational about, or not conversational, but very, I guess like intimate about the, the description of it because there's so much adjustment that can happen. I can watch every single thing and I can feel every single thing that you're doing. And so the, the adjustments, the description, the, the teaching, it takes on a very different tone. When you're in front of people more, you, you have to turn up the energy obviously because it's easier to lose their attention because there's a lot more distraction taking place. Um, and then, you know, to, to accelerate that and put that on video, you don't, you don't even get to see the response that people are going to have in real time or at all, you know, until after the fact. And so you have to be kind of like self-aware because when I started, started doing videos a long time ago, it, if I look back on them, man, it's, I left them up just for like, I guess, humorous sake, you know, like you can, you can look back at ones I made 10 years ago and it's just, yeah, I, I can't watch them, man. I cringe. It's just really horrible, but they, but it's funny though because I was just I was just talking to the camera like I would talk to a person, and I'm not the the personality type that can do that. I'm very uh, solid. Yeah, yeah. I'm 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 I don't have the the a very energetic personality. I don't have a very big voice. I'm a pretty quiet guy, and um, so for me to talk to the camera like that is just the most boring thing you've ever seen. But um, I was just trying to show the technique on camera, and you know that was it. So when I started doing um, things, when I started having um, a little bit more people watching my videos, it made me more self-conscious and self-aware. So, um, you know, I would, I would hear things and I would see the parts where I would get bored and then I would see other videos of what people were doing and, you know, how they were being successful. And, and I also had, um, e even though I don't work with certain people any longer, like I, I had good direction and I had good good feedback from some of the people who actually recorded some of the videos for me, and I'm I'm very grateful for that. You know, I, like whenever we did things like um, the bladed grappler DVDs, and some of the stuff I did with uh, Funker Tactical back in the day, and some of the stuff I did with Aperture. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not with those groups any longer, but. I had good direction and I had good feedback and also saw a lot of behind the scenes of like how uh, filming is stuff that, that really attracts your attention. And so um, I'm not good at emulating the video quality of that on my own, but I do know um, I, I can't catch myself whenever I'm getting boring <laughs> to myself, I think. One thing I'm sort of curious about with the 
blue bar and the black belt, the hoist lineage. Do you reckon that is mm -hmm. a way you've been taught in the sense in that different kind of, I don't know, with different ideologies as such might have influenced the way you teach? Because like you said earlier about it's not meant for these kind of commercial group size are meant to be for you know the the martial arts families to pass it on to their sort of families like the, the original sort of you know the gracie machado kind of original kind of thing do you think that's affected the way you've been taught yeah. and the way you teach yeah for sure i think so i mean because you, you know grandmaster earlier he would teach um i would i've been to groups before classes and, and seminars and everything else where, where grandmaster earlier was teaching and i mean there might be 80 people in the room and um, to my knowledge, none of them spoke Portuguese, and, and I never heard him speak English, like not even a word. <laughs> he, he, but he would get up there and he would demonstrate. And you know, granted, he would have a, you know Horian or, or Hoyce or someone translate for him, but just through his demonstration, um, he was really able to get a lot across, and it was it was really it was really amazing. And then to see like other um, generations of of Gracie family members who came up with, you know, with him as a teacher, as a patriarch of the family and, and having that kind of ability to teach, but then also have the, the articulation to be able to, to explain and fill in the missing points that, that couldn't just be shown through rote demonstration or silent demonstration. That, the culmination of that ability to transfer the information was amazing to me. It was really impressive. And, um, you know, and so that, that was a big thing that I think I got from coming up through that kind of lineage. Um, Hoist, Hoist still to this day, if you if you watch him teach, like if he walks into a, a seminar, uh, I'm really impressed with this when he does it with the kids. Sometimes it's like, uh, I wouldn't do it. I don't think I'd get away with it, but he's, he's Hoist. He has this aura about him. So he'll, he'll come in there to teach and he'll come in there with a, a group of, you know, 40, 50 kids ranging from, you know, five years old to 13 years old and they'll all be sitting on the floor and he'll just walk onto the mat kind of you know look him up and down and then just kind of sit down and he'll start stretching and you know they'll automatically start to like just follow along they'll just kind of fall in line and if they don't then he kind of points to something that he wants them to do and kind of nods his head a certain way and then they they'll fall into place and it's 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 kind of mesmerizing to watch that it's just captivating um but you know that that's that's the thing that's how he conducts a lot of his teaching and you know hoist's approach which i i'm still fascinated by it's not mine still but i, I there's a lot that i try to emulate about the parts that, that i understand about what he's doing and how he's doing it um he it's, it's his approach is to like boil things down not dumb them down because there's a way you know it's this is this is the bad part about martial arts a lot of times with like karate you know, you would have, you're trying to get across something. And so you have everybody do like the most simple movement out of the entire process. And so you have to, you know, accommodate for the lowest common denominator in the group. And, you know, that, that really dumbs it down a lot. And so you can't get very far because you have so much to build on after that. With Hoist though, he'll just go through the, the gross, like rote mechanics of the movement. But all the essentials are still there. You know? And if someone's having, if there's a common thing throughout the room that somebody's having a, an issue with, after a few times of, of repetition, he'll stop, he'll go back, and he'll correct that one thing. You know. Now, with me, I still get way too much verbal diarrhea, and I'm like, okay, okay, let's do this, 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 this. this. You know? And it, it's, um, but that's, that's been an editing process for me for decades now, is trying to, to find that happy medium 
of and, and and it's also developed kind of an authentic voice of how I teach too, you know, because that's that's something you can you can imitate a great teacher. I always think about this with Gordon Ryan. If you watch Gordon Ryan teach, he's actually a really, really good teacher. And then the detail that he puts into things. But to me, a lot of the time, it sounds like he is doing his impersonation of John Danaher. Um, which, if you're going to impersonate somebody that's as a teacher, then you know, great, you know, impersonate John Danaher. He's, he's a genius. But it doesn't sound still though to me like like it's his authentic teaching voice, is his authentic authentic style of teaching, um, and which is fine because he's still doing you know he's still getting across the information. He's doing a great job, but it's you know a lot of it is his age, you know. And I think that's something that you can't really rush is your authentic voice necessarily. Now, that's a really interesting point you've sort of mentioned there. Like, it's almost monkey see, monkey do. And like, you see your coach teach and the way they teach mm -hmm. to an extent, you can't help but impersonate and use the language they use and use the terms they use. And then, mm -hmm. I mean, if you're going to do an impersonation of John Danaher, you need to have the rash guard. You need to you know, talk for a while and where you're family back and all that stuff. But, Right. Yeah. Jiu-Jitsu for the time being, but do you feel you yeah. try to emulate Hoist, or do you feel like you've managed to get your own style and own kind of I don't know variation? Because again, it's a different kind of. I went to one of his seminars and it was a very unique experience, to say the least. Mm, yeah, it, and and depending on what he's teaching at the time, it'll it, yeah, it's it's you, you might go to the, like two of his seminars and they might be night and day from from each other, honestly. But. Um, yeah, I think I think that you can't help but necessarily, you know, if you're going to convey the information later, you're going to you're going to unconsciously or consciously you're going to imitate certain things. You're going to have certain certain intonations and even like you know pronunciations of different things that you're going to say. Like I, I know I have several of them. Um, you know, my my girlfriend makes fun of me whenever like I, depending on like whenever I'm 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 showing something or, or I'm talking about jujitsu, how hard I pronounce the J, you know, <laughs> so it's that sometimes, yeah, sometimes it'll be jujitsu and sometimes it'll be jujitsu. And it's, it, I think it's, you know, kind of buried in the, the verbiage of whatever I'm spitting out at the time, but it's, um, but there's, there's definitely some things. Rodrigo, Rodrigo Gracie was a huge influence and I, I learned so much from him um, coming up. And so like whenever I'm teaching something that, that I learned almost everything about it from him, I'll still have these kind of subconscious recollections and I'll catch myself <laughs> saying it the way that he would say, like, see, look, he would always say, see, look, see, see, look, this, this detail here, you know, and, and hoist the same thing is like it, I, one of the greatest feelings you'll ever have if you're training under hoist is whenever he's walking around in a class and you're getting the move. And he says, yes, <laughs> that, that, yes. And, and that, like that sticks with you, you know? So if, I, I know I, I, catch, I, I know that I, I do that sometimes whenever I'm watching somebody and I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm coaching them and telling them, yes, you know, it comes out like that. So it, there's, there's definitely uh, pieces and parts to it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a thing. I think it is sticks with you because it, it works on an emotional level. It's a psychological and it's an emotional level because you are dealing with something that you're trying to express approval. You're, you're trying to express, um, you know, something with uh, a sense of urgency. Sometimes, um, a gentleman named, uh, BKS Iyengar, he wrote a book called uh, light on yoga and he wrote a, a subsequent one light on life, which are excellent books. Light on life is a phenomenal book. And um, he, I'm not sure if it was in one of his books, but I know that he was being interviewed 
and he was talking about his teacher, uh, Batavi Joyce. And um, I, I, I'm screwing some of this up, and this, I'm, I apologize. But the, the the premise of it was that some he was talking about some people need to be coddled a certain way. You know, some people you can see that they're trying their best. You can see that they're putting their maximum effort into it. And for you to be harsh to that person is going to be damaging, right? You're, you're going to cause damage when that person is putting forth their maximum effort into trying, either psychologically or physically or whatever, to push them way too much harder than that. So you need to coax them. You need to kind of direct that energy they're putting into it because it's, a, it's the right amount of energy, but it's, it's, it may just be misaligned, you know, um, versus someone who you know is capable of doing it, but... They're, even though they're capable of doing it, it's, it's the amount of, of motivation they have, it's the amount of energy that they have that they're putting into it. And so that person needs to be a little more drill sergeant treated, you know. Um, so, you know, the point behind this is, um, I don't even remember where we started about it, this is a tangent by now, but, but the, the idea was that he, was, you know, some of his teachers would be very harsh with him, but he, he later would understand it kind of in retrospect why and when they were being harsh. You know, if, if someone is making a mistake repeatedly that's going to cause them grievous harm later on, then you don't need to coddle them about how they're making that mistake necessarily. If your kid runs out into traffic, you're not going to be like, oh, Billy, let's hey, let's come back, okay, buddy? You know, don't don't do that now. You're going to be like, you know, you're going to shout at him. You're going to tell him to get his ass back over here out of the road because he's doing something that could get get him killed or get him harmed really badly. So, you know, you have to you have to have an awareness with your students. Um, I think, and and that that takes a lot of kind of empathy, and you have to kind of be open to to feeling that, to sensing that, and that that takes a long time. I think that's why it's for me, it's still such a process and it's still something I try to be hyper vigilant about. And I never try to phone in a lesson or a class for that reason. Wow. I mean, there's so much to go into with that. It's almost like Pavlov's <laughs> dog, that kind of ideology of when they're good, you don't need to praise mm. them that much, but when they're doing something like fundamentally bad, fundamentally wrong, you need to make sure they, you know, drill sergeant sort of shake right. out of them yeah. kind of thing. And on yeah. top of that anyway, like, there's one thing I really wanted to pick your brain out uh, regards of coaching and stuff is when you have this kind of wealth of knowledge, always experiences, all these reference points for everything. How do you know where to draw the line when it comes to explaining it in a coaching sense? So say you've got a group of white belts and you're trying to teach, I don't know, a shrimp from side control to re regard. Like, mm -hmm. so that movement in itself, the way you could explain that and the way you, I've seen you explain it in videos, you could be there all day explaining it. But oh, yeah. at what point do you say, okay, we're about to run out of time to, to, to drill it because I'm still explaining it. Where do you find the line of, I don't know. Yeah, you know, that's the, like, for that, that exact thing ties back to what we're talking about with Hoyce because he, he's, he's such a minimalist when he teaches sometimes. And so that's why, you know, I've, I've, seen, I've seen him get criticism for, you know, um, from people wanting to go learn the coolest, flashiest new thing, he's the wrong seminar to go to. But if you want to understand something about about a basic that you thought that you had down years ago, and that you know, find out how little you actually know about it, then he's probably the man to go see. You know, but you know, so it, it is like I remember the, there's a there's a quote that says the perfect description of a grain of sand would take infinite time. You know, and so and that's that's how it is. And so you're taking these movements that 
that there are so many little things to it. It, it could be just a simple move on the surface, you know, like shrimping. And but when you you really understand that the essence of that movement and and also like that movement is going to be a component of so many other movements how critical it's going to be in your ground mobility and in and so many other techniques and where it's going to exist then you, you really start to understand the importance of getting that move as perfect as possible you know and so it you know i think that you know to to go back to hoist one more time showing showing that move giving understanding first of all what what the most essential elements of that movement are and then you know doing your best to demonstrate it and your best to explain the first like few details of it as you're explaining it, and then allow people to make repetition you know like to, to do repetition of that move and that's again why large groups are hard you know i mean it's it's hard to convey that the larger the group the the harder it is because <clears throat> one-on-one or one on a couple of people you can sit and physically adjust them you can physically point things out you can watch them really closely if you spend that same amount of attention with one or two people in a group of 30 you're going to miss you know 28 people 29 people so you you know i think that with it varies from from size to size but you know giving first of all a minimalist approach to it and then seeing what the mistakes are going to be um because you know if you if you spend 20 minutes on the explanation of a technique um, with, with something like shrimping wouldn't even be hard, you know, you could you'd talk about that move forever. But um, if you do that, well, what's the attention span, first of all? So somebody is trying to learn something, so they're, they're, they're listening, but they're also trying to imitate something. So you're, you're operating on this visual, on this auditory, and you're on this kinesthetic level. And so then, you know, they're trying to absorb all these components on all these levels and then translate it through their own body mechanics, you know. Just better to, to say, here's the move. This is maybe what it's for initially you know these are three components of it and go do it now watch them see what the group um, collectively is you know if there's a, a percentage of the group a significant fraction of the group that is making a consistent mistake stop them fix that mistake not more you know because there might be one or two stragglers that are screwing something up but you know if like 10 people are making the same mistake okay stop then fix that mistake go back rip it out more you know so it's, it's it's tough though it takes like a lot of hyper vigilance to be able to pick up on that sometimes so with that minimalist kind of first layer over then kind of working out would you i don't know how do i explain this would you rather go start to finish with minimal detail or do the first say third of it or first quarter of it within fine detail in that same context. yeah it, right i think it depends on the movement you know i mean how how complicated is the is the movement because um you know if you take something like um beer and bolo you know versus shrimping then it's like you know shrimping obviously you can just show the whole mechanic with no words and people can imitate it and probably get it you know 40 50 percent correct or higher you know you show a beer and bolo with very minimalist description, then um, probably nobody's going to get it. You know, I mean, you could you could even put a lot of description; it's not going to help. So you, then you would have to like kind of yeah, you'd have to piecemeal out a movement like that, a technique like that. You know, you'd have to. I think you know if you're going to show something like that, then now you're talking about um, 
first of all, taking out the mechanics of what your body is doing and then what the other person's body is doing in response to that and then what the move looks like together. It's like learning how to dance, you know? It's, if you're, or, or I think a better, um, you know, I, dancing is probably good, but I don't know how to dance. So I think maybe a better analogy would be like learning a foreign language. You know, it's like you, you if you just take, take people in and all you do is just learn a new sentence every day, you know, they're gonna memorize it. And then eventually, you know, for a long time later, they're gonna start to kind of see patterns and recognize um, on their own how to put things together. But it's, that's really not an efficient way. It's, it's better to learn vocabulary. It's better to learn verb conjugation. It's better to learn, you know, how to, to put these things together, how words um, change and how they fit together, you know, and, and then sentence structure and just different grammatical conventions and how they change from your native language to a foreign language, you know. And so it's the same thing when you're teaching a movement in jiu-jitsu. It's like you, you have to, you have to, know what you're trying to get the person to say and then you have to break down the grammatical conventions that work with in that movement and you know take what they already existing know and then what they need to learn and then find how to bridge those gaps together and then then you know now you're you're speaking a whole sentence and now you can just now you can repetitiously train that you know on a similar note when it comes to the origin of your coaching style and everything else do you have to learn a certain amount of analogies because remember training with hoys the amount <laughs> of weird like brazilian analogies they use like i remember someone saying oh, yeah. this is a very simple question of how much time should you give drilling on your weak side and his answer was if you <laughs> I remember this if you're carrying your shopping you hold it with your right yeah. hand so you open the door with your left but if you have not got your shopping, you open the door with your right, which basically means you only do it if you right. have to, but it's just so awkwardly yeah. worded. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I bet it probably sounds better in Portuguese, but it's, <laughs> but um, no, that's a, but he, you know, he's got great analogies like that. I remember um, one I use to this day. He, there's so many that I learned from. Some of them were just weird. I'm like, okay, that's got to sound better in Portuguese. But, uh, you know, some of them just are great to this day because people, um, the same thing, asking about how much should I drill both sides, because I on some things I'm I'm a proponent of drilling both sides from the beginning. You know, like yeah, if you're gonna learn how to do arm drag, learn how to do the same mechanics on both sides. You know, you drill the arm drag a thousand times each side every time. You know, whatever. Um, but you know, they were like talking about guard passing one time. We were, we we're doing guard passing, and there someone was asking them about. Um, you know, should you get really good on one side and then start training it on the other side? Or should you just start from scratch training both sides on the way up? And his analogy that he used for this particular pass, and I thought it was, at the time, I, I thought it was something that's brilliant for this particular pass. He said, in tennis, you, you have a forehand and you have a backhand. He's like, you don't switch sides depending on where the ball is coming. You know, and I'm like, that's perfect. You know, that, that's a perfect analogy for this particular guard pass that we're doing. You're, if, if you're passing on this one side, well, then pass on that side that way. Um, if you're going to pass on the other side, then, you know, you're, you're, it's not going to look quite the same because um, of just the mechanics of how it fits together. You know, now that, like I said, there's exceptions to that. That's not, that's not a, a, a hard and fast rule. But I thought it was a, a great way to put it at the time. But man, oh, dude, if it, it's uh, you know how much time I spend on analogies in class. Sometimes it turns into like inception. Like uh, I'll be in the middle of analogy and then start using another analogy, and I'm like, wait, I'm still in the first analogy, and so we <laughs> we have to get out of this. 
<laughs> you forget where you started in the first place thinking okay so if i use the left hand to do this with the doors opening here and then if i do that and i'm playing tennis and then all this so, so okay so what point are we doing jiu-jitsu where do we take it back to <laughs> just trying to understand right. like, where the initial principle yeah. was so a few things i really want to pick your brain about regards of how you learn how, are you more of a cognitive thinker are you analyze things regards of step by step are you more finding a purpose for things how do you how do you learn like initially um man i'm still i'm still learning about how i learn because <laughs> <laughs> I, I would think um and again I, I think it's just it's it's very situational but i'm typically a principle-based learner i think more than anything i mean it, it, you know we can talk about how much is divided up between um you know, am I more of an auditory kinesthetic or, or you know, uh, what's the other one? Visual or I think there's other kinds. I think that they've identified like seven or eight different kinds of learning, you know. But um, I think that depending on what, what the move is, what the situation is, um, what the strategy, what the, the execution and everything, what, what the opponent style is, everything like that, it, it depends so much on all that. But um, to give maybe a, a clearer answer, I would say I'm a principle-based learner. So if I can understand the principle behind something, I think that I assimilate the thing faster. Um, I'm, I'm more of like a, a I have to see the whole picture. So, you know, if, if you explain to me part by part and piece by piece, like if someone's giving me directions, like I, I have the worst sense of direction in the world. So you, you can say, okay, uh, you're going to go out on this street, you're going to take a left uh, down here on, on Fifth Avenue, and then you're going to go uh, three blocks, and then and, and I'm already lost. Like I've, I've lost you a long time ago. You know, you got to give me landmarks that I already understand. You have to tell me like in, in proximity to this this landmark, where i'm gonna be going you know so that's that's how my brain works personally so um yeah and regards of then teaching in your like one-to-ones we say your day one white belt up until like blue but building that foundation how would you like to ideally build someone up from scratch say they'll listen to whatever you're teaching but regards of structure what is your priorities of I don't know, building someone up. Obviously, it's a massive spectrum, but regards of, I don't know, building a structure yeah. from scratch. It's, that, that's going to have to depend on the student um, to, to a big degree. Now, if, if someone's just coming in, they're just coming into a class, then one of the first things that, you know, we, we ask anybody when they're starting up is kind of, you know, why do you want to train? You know, what do you want to do? And then, you know, knowing full well that whatever they say next is, is probably not going to be it or it's not going to be what keeps them involved, you know. So, um, but, you know, it's, it's their initial intention. So at least you have to kind of present the information and, and with that intention. So, you know, if someone is wanting to come in and they want to learn self-defense, then I would try to prioritize the things that I'm, I think are going to get them moving in a way and recognizing and, and reacting in a way to self-defense situations the best. And then, you know, the, the material that we, that we go on, you know, that, that we, we follow is going to be that kind of material. If somebody's wanting to be more of a competitor and they're wanting to do, you know, train and, and they want to compete gi or no gi grappling, or maybe they want to do MMA or, you know, or whatever it is, then, you know, that all those things, um, I think have to kind of play into how you structure the material and how you feed the material to the student. Um, you know, then, you know, based on that though, I think that, 
um, you know, getting that person into their body, you know, because people are going to come in with different, different skill sets. They're going to come in with different attributes that they bring to the table. Some people are going to come in not able to tie their own shoes and others are going to, you know, come in with, you know, high level athletic experience. And so, or athletic ability. So then, you know, you, you can't really train those two people exactly the same way. You know, not, in some cases, they have to be vastly different. So, you know, I think that, um, you know, that, that's that's really the big thing. And again, that draws me back to the original thing that I said, that I just think that's why martial arts was more meant to be, you know, one-on-one taught so that you can kind of recognize all these things in a more uh, effective way and get the, the student going to what they need. So I don't know that that might be dodging the question a little bit, but <laughs> it's that's kind of what ideally I would take into consideration whenever I'm teaching somebody new from scratch. So the reason that question was going to be hard to answer is more to see how you would approach that situation, because most people would say, like, when it comes to this, they'll try and give a, a general statement. But the way you phrased that was perfect. It was breaking it down to the sort of, you know, person by person everyone's different they've got their own specific things it's not a one-size-fits-all thing and the way you were going into that as well was really interesting of understanding their mechanics their movements their limitations their goals all this kind of stuff and i was curious as to what path you'd sort of almost go down with that whether it was more an overlay of the fundamentals if it was more i don't know self-defense orientated things because obviously the the hoist lineage posted the um carlos gracie and again just Mm -hmm. trying to i don't know what core principles as such whether it was self-defense as in i don't know the you know how do i explain it well i think i think that you know jujitsu is is applicable to so many different um i don't know if it's you know modalities or what but it's you know because you can generally i i I break up the applications of jujitsu like from a technical perspective into um self-defense so you know this would be you know, kind of no rules situation where, you know, whether it's ambush or depending on how mutual the, the street fight is, it's, it's something that happens in a, a street kind of context where no rules are involved and anything goes, you know, and, and the environment can be just chaotic and everything else, you know. So then, you know, you have something that um, on the opposite end of the spectrum would be gi-based competition grappling, you know, and... Um, you know, then you also have no-gi submission grappling. Then there's um, kind of a hybrid of those things, which would be MMA. You know, so you're, you're loosening up on the rules. There's obviously strikes involved. There's obviously, like, lots of different elements to it. Um, then there are just, like, strictly grappling-based things, but it's not quite as um, loose or chaotic or, uh, you know, rules-free as a, a street fight. Um you know, and then in all of these, your your opponent is probably going to have different varying levels of skill and experience. You know, whereas a street fight would probably be the most unskilled opponent you'd be facing versus probably, um, you know, in, in any of those other sportive measures would be you know a way more skilled opponent. So, um, but in each one of those, there's going to be overlap. There's going to be overlap between the techniques. You're going to see, you know, an arm bar is still probably going to be an arm bar, but there's going to be some textual considerations that you're going to have to, you know, take into account. Um, chokes, you know, are still going to be there, you know, leg locks to some degree, you know, but then you have to, to ask yourself, well, if I do this certain kind of pass or this certain kind of entry or this certain kind of uh, takedown, what are the implications for if, 
this person can punch me or kick me or knee me or elbow me or or if we're on concrete or if you know there's we're in a uh, in between two cars in a parking lot you know and it's you know these all these things matter uh greatly so you know when when you're teaching that because and and if i put all the considerations on that when i'm showing a move and I say, okay, we're going to work on an arm bar today. This is how you're going to do it in the gi. This is how you're going to do it in no gi. This is how you're going to do it in the may. This is how you're going to do it in a parking lot. <laughs> you know, so then, then we're learning four potentially vastly different applications for one thing. And, you know, we could spend six weeks on one technique for that reason. But, yeah. What if they're wearing a gi in the parking lot? Perfect. <laughs> yeah. And the guy can't hit them. It's... It, it's it's good <laughs> best of both worlds so yeah. and i mean it, it, no I'm, I'm, really though it's 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 one of the main reasons though that that um why why schools specialize more you know i mean that's that's why you see more schools specialize particularly with the sport because just in gi um jiu-jitsu tournaments there's there's so much there's so it's 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 so like vastly in depth or just in self-defense there's so much so i mean if you have a place that's trying to teach you know all kinds of different elements for for different people's you know reasons and and, and you know to fulfill everybody it's that's going to be a it's, it's a herculean task you know so it's it's difficult to keep those things separated out because you're having to really conjecture a lot of the time with people about the context um because you know it gets kind of hypothetical after a while at least in rule-based systems you can really specify the context you know the, the less rules it's you know the, the looser the context has to be and so that you can have these discussions for a long time about it but it becomes very theoretical and becomes kind of a, a voodoo science after a while regards of your self-defense sort of training in jiu-jitsu and keeping jiu-jitsu self-defense specific do you do many sort of live drills with striking as well? And if you do, is that basically turning to MMA at that point? Um, yeah, basically, I mean, basically any any kind of um, striking-based jiu-jitsu stuff, you know, like if we're running a striking-based drill. Um, so let's say that you put on four-ounce gloves or you put on, on on big gloves and, you know, you let that person strike while the other person is trying to um, close the distance, establish the clinch, get the takedown, get do establish dominant positions on the ground, and then finish the fight with some sort of submission. Um, it's it's like a handicapped in the nay, you know? So it's it, like that's, that's what a lot of jiu-jitsu self-defense training looks like is like handicap MMA, which – that sounds bad when I say it out loud, but it, it's, it really is kind of what it is. But, I mean, if you think about the self-defense context, it is. It's very restrictive in MMA. But, you know, so ultimately, you know, but, but you know, there, there's the argument to be made, though. Just training an MMA-based context doesn't necessarily make for the best, um, best self-defense training, you know. I mean, granted, most adept MMA fighters, even on an amateur level or semi-pro level, would handle themselves better than most people in a street fight but it's not necessarily what we're talking about though you know i mean self-defense isn't necessarily it's like hey buddy you want to take this outside and we go outside and we have uh we have a consensual street fight you know that that is how it happens a lot but it's you know it's a lot of the time it's you know somebody comes up asking you for a dollar 
and then they in, encroach on your personal space and they're starting to get a little handsy and then all of a sudden before you know it they're they're grabbing a hold of you or they take a swing at you or they pull a knife on you or they pull a gun on you you know i mean these these are these are potential self-defense scenarios but um you know also with but well i'm not gonna get too much off on that tangent but so i mean for you to to run um true self-defense based training i think that a, a portion of it needs to be um scenario based training you know and that that's some of the most uncomfortable work to do because if you're if you're trying to do something where you it's it, it, just training a technique is easy. You know, say we're going to come in, we're going to work on a sucker punch defense. We're going to work on a haymaker defense. We're going to work on somebody comes up and grabs you defense. Well, that's great. But I mean, there's something that happens between you being on your way from the store to your car in the parking lot and somebody coming up and punching you in the face most of the time, you know. And it was something, like I said, it's something about, you know, maybe they, they walk up and, and you know, they start asking you for money or maybe you know they they start walking up trying to talk to you and their friend comes up from behind or something you know so um and you can't really teach a ton about situational awareness in the classroom you know so the best that you can do a lot of the time is you know some of this like scenario-based training work and i i hate it i hate that worse than anything i would much rather just go in and just roll and just you know or even just work self-defense techniques where it's like okay we're going to work on this technique go and rep it out physically the whole time um but i think i kind of jumped past the point of what you were asking but it, i think that uh, <laughs> a lot of the, a lot of the drills i think that from a physical standpoint you know a lot of the drills to do for um self-defense based um things is, is trying to get your partner so if we're going to go in i'm going to train more self-defense kind of jiu-jitsu you should have a good framework of the the fundamentals or at least a, a snapshot in time of what you're training for that day and where it's going to start where it's going to end the other person has these tools at their disposal and then no more so they can't game it too much you know um because I mean, if you're, you know, what what does it look like if we're going to go in and we're going to work a self-defense scenario? Okay, we're going to work about uh, a haymaker defense, and so the bad guy has the gloves on. Um, you don't. Your his job is to swing haymaker at your head, and then you have to defend it. Well, you start to defend it, and then all of a sudden he does some kind of very technical counter, and then all of a sudden you're rolling around and you're trying to pass each other's guard on the ground. I mean, this, we've we've kind of jumped jumped past the realm of what could be considered you know a realistic self-defense scenario maybe but um yeah again with these questions they're more like just reference points to sort of start from like i'm i want to almost encourage these tangents encourage your thought thought process and stuff <laughs> if i gave you like you know word, you give me one word answers where's the fun in that would be oh well that that's i'm always uh kind of hyper aware of that whenever I'm, I'm doing a podcast or interview or something is because I, I'll, I'll go off on tangents so much. Um, but then, you know, it's like, yeah, I, I've heard other ones like you just mentioned. It's like, if you, <laughs> you'll, you'll hear these, these very terse responses sometimes in an interview. And it's like, so, you know, what's your approach to teaching? Oh, just go in and teach the moves, you know, <laughs> it's like, oh, who no, wants to listen worst, to that? Worst, oh, yeah. Yeah. I think it's stress dreams are made of. Oh god. Um, <laughs> oh, I forgot my question now. Um, oh yeah, with <laughs> with self defense, I had a guy on the other day, a guy called Wendy Miller, who's quite big in the UK scene, in like regional like, MMA in the UK, and does mm -hmm. a lot of self defense based things. And a lot of what awesome. he was talking about was um, I don't know the 
before the fight itself because again it's not as like great expectations of you know let's have a fight and agreeing to it and then you know <laughs> getting yeah. ready for it. it's a lot more yeah. informal it's a lot more i don't know some people say i don't know how it just sort of happened but most of it is you know they get in your face there's oh you know the chest puffing out there's all this kind of stuff mm -hmm. you think yeah sure. if, you, if you didn't see it coming i think you just need to get your glasses tested i think if you didn't see it coming, <laughs> and in right. situations as well like it's so much beyond self-defense is so much more than learning all the cool check like bruce lee moves it's again it's, yeah it's so much different. that really that really is the easy part man i mean that's that's what um it's the part people are most scared of and it's the easiest part because i mean you know if you if you train jiu-jitsu then you know um that once it you know i heard i've heard of this described this way a few times but i remember one of the first times i heard um a student he's a very casual student and he was talking about he was in uh an airport he was going down to baggage claim and there were uh, a couple that were arguing, and he, you know, he felt like the the guy was getting way too aggressive, and he was getting physical, and so he felt compelled to say something, you know, whether that was a good idea or not stands to, to be negotiated, but it's, he said something, and the guy had fully turned all his aggression on him, and so much so that this guy, again, very casual student, very just, you know, hobbyist, but he said that he was like, okay, I'm just going to get the hell out of the situation. And he turned around just to walk off and the guy grabbed him from behind. And he said, you know, he, he said he was just, he was completely like, uh, just horrified, frozen, like in fear until the guy grabbed him. He said, once the guy grabbed him, he said that felt like home. You know, and he's like, I, he grabbed me just perfectly. He grabbed me the way that we, we, we defend this, this exact grab from behind so often that you know i was able to do this this takedown on him you know and i took him down and he actually like hit his head on the the conveyor thing where the baggage comes out and you know it, it dazed him enough that he got out of the situation and he was like you know so that right there though i mean you know all the fear all the trepidation was like was was prior to that it was in the verbal exchange it was in him deciding if he was even going to interact with this guy it was in and once the guy did turn on him you know like he he was he was kind of paralyzed a little bit and wasn't sure what to do and just wanted to get out of the situation. So, yeah, all that is is the hard part, you know. Um, but you were you were bringing up. Um, I'm sorry. When uh, what's his name again? Wendy Miller. Uh, uh, Wendy Miller. Wendy Miller. Yes. Um, I don't think you were done saying what you were saying about him, and I kind of cut in. Oh no, you're fine. It was more just again the the stage before it is like self defense is more than just the fundamentals of a just uh, techniques it's all the body language it's being aware of the situation it's being aware of your surroundings it's being aware of i don't know your priorities and whenever people ask me as a two-stripe blue belt otherwise known as a master of jiu-jitsu um, yeah yes exactly that what, what, you got it all that, you know i pretty much completed it at this point they, yeah they say oh, what's the best martial art for self-defense let's say cross-country running you just get the fuck out yeah street fight i mean it's up to you if you want to but just run away yeah, exactly, man. And so that when it's it's always funny whenever I make a um, if I ever try to do a self defense um, jujitsu video. So I try to frame the context. So I'm you know wearing street clothes, and you know we're filming out somewhere in in an environment that's not in a matted gym. So you know I'm trying to to frame it as you know this is how we would apply this self defense technique. You know this is how we'd apply jujitsu in a self defense context. Inevitably, you know, I usually get a pretty positive response on my videos. You know, I, I, like most people are, 
you know, like, okay, that's, that's, you know, cool. You're doing your thing or anywhere from that to like very, um, happy about it, happy with it and very, very polite, very respectful. But inevitably I'll get some on those that are like, well, you know, you should have had situational awareness and you shouldn't have let this happen. That person should have never gotten that far. You know, you should have never gone to this. You shouldn't find yourself in these kind of places or situations and just all this litany of all these things that should have happened beforehand. And my response is like that. That would be a really fucking boring video. Like, we, we, I'm, I'm just. What am I gonna do? I'm like gonna walk through the street and say, "Oh, that looks like a scary place over there." I'm gonna avoid that. You know, might, maybe that would be a funny video. Maybe I should do that. You know, it's like outside. Right. Yeah. Just, just show me in a bar when somebody starts to get too aggressive and me just buying beers for them, you know, to get out of it. <laughs> maybe that's, maybe that's a, a video in the future. <laughs> Spoiler alert exclusive here. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> I'll tell you something I want sort of on the same sort of topic of keeping things straight applicable. One thing, um, Chewy does, and he does, I think it's an annual thing of dressing up in, um, I don't know, was it charity <laughs> shop clothes or something? And then everyone rolls in there right. like, is that something you guys ever get involved with as well to keep it? No, but man, I, I really want to because I remember seeing that. Um, I think the first time he made a video of that. I don't know if that was the first time they did it. It was the first time they made a video of it. I thought, man, what a great idea! Like, and it was every. <laughs> I remember seeing people everything from like leisure suits to like prom dresses to. Uh, but yeah, I've thought about doing that on Halloween because I think that's when he does it. That's his annual thing is for Halloween. Um, they'll go to like a, a thrift shop or, a, um, you know, like a, a Salvation Army or, um, yeah, like you were saying, like charity shops and they'll, they'll get these old clothes. And so they'll, they'll roll, they'll have this like full on open mat. The rule is though, that you have to use the clothing <laughs> so you can, you can use it offensively or defensively, but you have to use whatever you're wearing. So it's really funny to see the ones, especially the guys in the dresses. That's the best to me. Like uh, watching the the men dressed up in these like big formal <laughs> poofy dresses, like trying to to roll and do all their jujitsu. But the funny thing with that in itself is it gives people that I don't know awareness and application for the gi because it gets so misinterpreted as oh it wouldn't work in a street fight X Y and Z because right. you know there's no gi. But when it comes to okay, we're going to use this as a gi, and you see how effective yes. it is. It's actually so. I don't know, like, it's something about being collar choked by actual clothes you wear, thinking, oh, this stuff actually is yeah. transferable, it actually is a thing. Well, yeah, and I mean, there's there's certain things that you don't think about until you actually try to apply it to that. Like, we were, I actually filmed um, a BJJ Fanatics, like, um, instructional on that exact topic. It was, it's, I, like, we filmed it, and I was really happy about it and everything, and, and me and my, my buddy Jared Jessup, we, we tag-teamed it, and we knocked it out fast. Like, for as far as an instructional goes, like, we knocked it out pretty quickly. We filmed the whole thing in, like, four hours, and um, and I was really happy with the content. They are like, oh, what are we calling this? Like, the guys at BJJ Fanatics, I was like, oh, shit, I didn't think of a name. So we were like, uh, gee, chokes with street clothing. That sounds really awful. And they were just like, how about just gee to street? I'm like, oh, that sounds horrible, but I don't have a better one, so we'll just go with that. So anyway, <laughs> gee to street is the name of it. And um, so we showed uh, applications from gee chokes to um, 
jackets to, of different kinds, like heavier, thinner. We showed it with collared shirts, like polo shirts. We showed it with hoodies, you know, using like the the hood of the the sweatshirt and, and the application. And it is it's, it's kind of interesting. Well, I was showing like um like a variation of like a clock choke or a Peruvian necktie or something on uh, Jared in this one. And he was like, man, the zipper felt like it was just going to cut my head completely off of this jacket. And I'm like, huh, that's kind of an interesting little bonus that we didn't even consider that you know, things like that happen whenever you try to apply these. You know, um, I've done several several videos on that exact that topic. And we, we did one with um, the Budo brothers who I did a... a a big instruction with the jiu-jitsu deep dive but the first thing, interaction i had with them was the um they came out with this this jacket their their goal like their their business model when they they set out they said that you know years back they said they wanted to be like the lululemon of uh of jiu-jitsu like martial arts merchandise and clothing and i was like well that's weird but that's cool you know and so they they came out with this gi jacket and so one of the first videos i ever did for them was just showing um like offensive applications of using the jacket that you're wearing you know in, in potential kind of situations like that um but yeah it's 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 interesting i always i always am fascinated by those kind of applications and so you know i don't ever expect though for very sportive guys to care about anything like that i, I expect self-defense people being interested in it maybe hobbyists being interested in it um but it's gotten a lot more popular like it's it, like those kind of things have gotten a lot more popular keenan cornelius just put out like a dozen videos recently of him rolling with some of his guys and um just wearing street clothes like wearing jackets and hoodies and stuff like that and i'm like oh okay so keenan's doing it so i you know i guess it has some um cross interest from from different groups maybe yeah imagine seeing the pale guard in um, a street fight on a hood. oh yeah what i should yeah. say about that like a proper worm guard yeah. some kind of like reverse Della squid or whatever it is or something yeah no he was he was trying i mean and he was he was pulling off some of it you know the guy was wearing uh, a hoodie and he was you know pulling the sleeves down over his hands and and feeding the the base of the the sweatshirt under the leg and playing worm guard and you know reverse Della worm guard and all this stuff and it was, it was really funny and and uh actually uh in one of the, the roles i was watching some of the footage because someone sent it to me because they were like they just thought it was interesting that that Keenan, of all people, who's who's just when you think about the epitome of sport jujitsu, you think about people like Keenan Cornelius, you know. And that's not to say that you know he obviously doesn't know the the, the full breadth of the entire art of, of jujitsu, you know. But you think about him as being a, a high level sport competitor, and that's his, his only interest. And so when he started doing these things, people started sending me these videos. It's like, hey, did you see this? Like Keenan is is doing this kind of stuff, like the stuff you do. I'm like. Yeah, but I mean, I, I don't know how much he's doing it as a joke, but it's funny. I think it started as a joke, and then he got really interested in it because you can watch as it goes on. That's why he made several, like, long videos of it, of him rolling with his guys in street clothes because they started getting really down the rabbit hole. And it's like, hey, this you could actually use this, you know, and if the guy is doing this or that or wearing this kind of clothing or even trying to hit you. Then one of the one of the roles, he was mounted on top of one of those guys, and they were, he was kind of commentating, and this guy pulled a, a, a spork, like a little plastic fast food <laughs> spork out of his pocket and was, and was kind of stabbing Keenan with it. So he was like, oh, now we've got to introduce weapons, and now we have to talk about weapons defense. 
I'm like, bro, like I've, I've got a couple instructionals out on these, these things that <laughs> we can, we can talk about. Again, it's, these conversations, like it's so hard to get one topic, isn't it? Because then it's like, okay, then what? Yeah. But then what with that? Right. And then this whole big spike spider diagram of, okay, there's this oh, one yeah. point, but then there's the one points all around these things. It's so interesting. Because when you get into any kind of weapon defense, I remember seeing one of them, I think it's one of Stephen Kesting's videos he put up about, that's really interesting. He was someone in a triangle choke, but then he's got a knife. And now what? <laughs> your triangle choke, right, your yeah. safety net is like, okay, now what? And it just completely yeah. changes on its head. It gets a bit like... <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny because, like, you, um, you know, working on... I've done a lot of this stuff with with, um, with knife defense in a ground grappling situation. And it, it is. It's, it's funny because, you know, that's... Again, this is... My, my instructor calls it voodoo science. You know, it's because it, there's so many, so many assumptions that have to be made. Even even if you're training as realistically as possible, when you introduce weapons, it's still very much like a, a voodoo science. You know, so, but yeah, when when you start to introduce weapons and stuff, then a lot of the positional hierarchy, a lot of it holds true. A lot of it is still is is really um, substantial and and it, and it works well because of the way it allows you to like monitor the limbs and monitor the core movement, you know, and the positions themselves kind of limit to that. But then, you know, certain techniques though, like you were talking about with a triangle choke, cool, man, if, you, if you're going to account for the potential of a person having um, a weapon that they can access and you throw up something like a triangle choke, then it's, you know, it's, um, it, it gets complicated. It gets messy, you know? Um, so there are certain things that uh, almost everything, almost everything is still, applicable but it's not um there, there have to be modifications there have to be considerations made you know definitely and again it goes back to the same point of what if happens in with that and then with this and then with that <laughs> and then you sort of yeah this never-ending one-size-fits-all kind of thing um yeah one last sort of thing i wanted to get onto before i let you go and enjoy your evening is um regards <laughs> to your youtube channel and your videos how formal is that process is it sort of i don't know you think of you think of a video and you sort of do it there do you like speak to chew with stuff do you like run, run ideas off each other and get involved with other youtuber uh, jiu-jitsu coaches or is it all just like i don't know well it's it, it varies i mean like I, I don't answer this question the same way exactly anymore but i will say for like 95 percent of the videos that i put out on youtube the process is basically this. It's like I, I'm either it's before I start my teaching for the day or after I've done my teaching for the day. And there's a body I can use around. There's another body that can hold my phone to film it. And there's nobody making too much noise. And I say, hey, can you film this for me real quick? And I may or may not have a concrete idea uh, in my head or, you know, um, there's definitely not like anything super planned out most of the time. Um, so I just kind of throw somebody in my phone and say, Hey, can you film this for me real quick? Thanks. And I get it. And I go and I, I fumble around with some cheap editing software. Most of the time on my phone itself, I like through an app and then I just kind of, I throw it up the back end work as far as like, once I get it online, you know, is actually the more involved part. Like that's the, like, as far as putting in all the information and all that stuff. But yeah, it's usually a very informal process. Now, I have tried to get better 
about that. I have tried to improve like more recently, you know, I actually bought a microphone because I was getting too many complaints about the levels of volume on my, <laughs> I actually learned how to control the white balance on my camera. You know, that was a, a big step in the right direction. <laughs> so, you know, these, these kind of things, but, um, but yeah, man, I mean, it's, well, it's cause I don't, I don't like have really the ability to like block out recording time and, and I don't keep like a running list of things necessarily. I have a few ideas. If I have a really good idea, I'll jot it down on my phone, on my notes or something. Um, and then I'll try to record it the next time I'm there. But it, it's very frustrating because, you know, I'll, I'll have it planned out to record something. I'm like, okay, I'm going to record this on Thursday night. And I go in Thursday night and the, the only time that I have and to, to with a person to demo on and a person to record there's a Filipino martial arts class going on and they're like clacking sticks together. And I'm like, well, I can't record right now, you know, or there's like a, a they, they teach Machida karate at, at um, my academy now. And, you know, we I was really, I was, I was filming this. I was like, I think I can get away with this back in the private room. And then that night they were doing these like kia, like these karate kiyas. And I was, I'm like, are you serious with this shit? Okay. So we have to, we have to postpone this, you know, not knocking uh, Filipino martial arts or, or karate. You know, it's just it saying that. <laughs> right. just, just to say that they were really kind of uh, cramping my style trying to film a video. <laughs> awesome. Really appreciate your time, Eli. Where can people find you? Um, night Jiu Jitsu on all the things. Um, they, like uh, as far as social media, yeah, it's it's at Night Jiu Jitsu or um, on you know uh, Instagram and. Um, I have a Patreon that's patreon.com slash night jujitsu. I'm actually starting a Rockfin channel um, I, I, in the final stages of that. And I don't know if you're familiar with that, but that that's a really interesting platform. So it, it, I think that um, it will probably be night jujitsu on Rockfin. It's R-O-K-F-I-N. So that's going to be interesting. Um, it's, you know, as far as that, like the instructional materials I have out, I have three different volumes of BJJ fanatics that are, you know, self-defense jujitsu related. Um, I have the, the one I'm most proud of um, with the Budo brothers that's out as an instructional. It's called the Jujitsu Deep Dive. So if you just, you know, look that up, the Jujitsu Deep Dive, it's, it's something I'm really proud of because it's a huge volume on on all things jujitsu related it's just kind of a brain dump from me about jujitsu um and let's see i feel like i'm missing something oh i've got a youtube channel so there's that oh, that little <laughs> but, thing <laughs> that little thing <laughs> but so but um yeah i mean that's that's basically it so i, I hope hope people check it out and i i answer i like to mention this too like I, i've been bad about mentioning this but I answer almost every message that I get, um, oftentimes to the chagrin of my loved ones. But I, I answer every every message and most every comment that I ever get on anything. So people, um, it's gotten to the point people reach out to me and I'll, I'll respond back, and usually pretty quickly. And they're kind of surprised that I responded back. I, I guess because a lot of people don't at a certain stage or something, you know. But I, I just. Um, that, that's something I try to, I, it's, it's because I'm very grateful. I'm really grateful that, that people listen to what I have to say and they, they watch what I have to, to show. And so I, I want to show my gratitude by that, by, you know, having conversation with them if I, I possibly can. So links to all that will be in the description. Today's episode was brought to you by Mauler MMA. Use code FC MMA 20 at checkout for 20% off on all products on maulermma.com.